if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us as we get rolling now at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the 29th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2020. We are loaded up today. A lot of great conversations. I want you to sit back and listen. Uh, we will try to offer you time to call, but we are heavy with guests. Coming up in a half an hour uh, at 9.35, Jack Windsor, WMFD-TV, intrepid news reporter and investigative journalist, covering the lies from Columbus again. And we're going to let him tell you all about what the reality is, what the statistics show versus what Governor Mike DeWine and the state of Ohio want you to believe. Jack Windsor at 935. At 1010, I'm going to revisit an old story with an old friend. We're going to talk to Bob Dyer, reporter and writer for the uh, Akron Beacon Journal, who's going to bring back a story that needs attention now. Nine years ago, a woman named Kelly uh, 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 Williams Bowler tried to cheat the school systems by taking her children who were in one district and sending them to school in another, filled with lies and all kinds of mischief and devious acts. Uh, she was caught, and she blamed her crime, or rather, she blamed the punishment for her crime on racism. This was nine years ago. But here we are in 2020, and we're in the era of Black Lives Matter, where nobody is allowed to be held accountable if they are African American. And now there are calls for her to be cleared and for the schools to pay the fines she was assessed for her uh, for her activities. It's an unbelievable story. Bob Dyer wrote a great piece on it uh, yesterday in the Akin Beacon Journal. He let me tell you how big this story was. This story was featured on an episode of Dr. Phil. And Bob Dyer, the reporter for the Beacon Journal, appeared on the Dr. Phil show arguing about this case with the Reverend Al Sharpton. Because Reverend Al, of course, saw this as a racial discrimination case as well. And I'll let the rest of the story be told by Bob Dyer 
uh, coming up at uh, 10.10 this morning. And then at 10.35, we get back into the campaign. We get back into the politics of it all. Corey Lewandowski, former Trump campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski will be joining us to discuss the latest on the president's campaign, on what the left has done, uh, what Joe Biden's campaign is all about, and more. So we've got Jack Windsor, Bob Dyer, and Corey Lewandowski all on the program today. So again, that's going to limit the opportunities for your phone calls. Uh, but we will take them when uh, the opportunity arises. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Let's start with where we started yesterday. I told you I could not wait for Bob Barr to intellectually dissect the liberal Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee. I couldn't wait for it. I knew what he was going to say. I knew what he was going to talk about. We had advanced uh, 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 release of his remarks, his prepared remarks in the transcript. I could not wait to see him just completely, well, I would say lobotomize the Democrats, but I think God already handled that. Um, but he was just going to tear them apart limb from limb because they're going after the wrong guys, Hugh Hewitt said. And then I watched it, well, as much as it of it as I could stand because I didn't realize what it was really supposed to be. This wasn't a hearing. The liberal Democrats on the Judiciary Committee did not want Attorney General Bill Barr to testify. They wanted him to sit there so that they could yell at him and create a massive campaign commercial for Joe Biden. You understand this? Nationally televised, Five uninterrupted hours of Democrats yelling at Bill Barr, calling him and President Trump traitors to the country, calling them criminals, telling them that they stood up for criminals and that they prosecuted the righteous. They spent five hours doing a campaign commercial for Joe Biden. At one point, Bill Barr literally said to them, this is supposed to be a hearing. I thought I was the one who was supposed to be heard. Nope, this wasn't a hearing. This was an ambush. This was a, you will sit there for five hours and let us tell the world everything we hate about you and about Donald Trump. So that our candidate, the incompetent, racist, um dare I say, neurologically challenged, early-onset dementia suffering, Democratic nominee Joe Biden, we're going to do his work for him because we know that he's not very good as a candidate. So we're going to make him look good by comparison, by ripping you for five straight hours. And that is exactly what they did. Jim Jordan at one point said the truth. He said, you know, when uh, a representative's five minutes of questioning comes up, they have a choice. They can make a speech for five minutes, which most of them did, or they can ask questions, which some of them did. If you choose the latter, Congressman Jordan said, then you have to give the witness a chance to answer said questions. They refused to do that. They used their five minutes at a time to make speeches and then to pretend to ask questions. But the moment the attorney general's mouth opened to respond, they shut him down and said, I'm reclaiming my time. Well, wait a minute. You just asked me a question. Don't I get to? I'm reclaiming my time. Don't you want an answer? To, I, Mr. Chairman, I would like my time restored. The witness is speaking over me. But 
but you just asked him a question. This was an ambush, not a hearing. I'll tell you this about the demon rats. They're evil, but they're not stupid. They're smart enough to know when someone is smarter than them. They're smart enough to know that Bill Barr, if given an opportunity to speak, is going to undo every single thing they say. And he'll do it eloquently, articulately, with the full weight of the law behind him. And so they knew they could not let him speak. If he speaks, it all unravels. So understand this. The demon rat party is is really, really that evil, but they're not stupid insofar as they're smart enough to know when somebody is smarter than them, and they can't allow that guy to talk. And so that's exactly what they did. Reclaiming my time. In April, times is when does something actually become custom. Reclaiming my time. I'm psyched. This is not a trick question. In this country. And I'm reclaiming my time, Mr. General. Without any remedy at all. I'm reclaiming my time. Let me share with you. So you got to let him answer. Reclaiming my time. You reclaiming my time, sir. Reclaiming my time. He found reclaiming no my time without political bias. He said he and found in April, no evidence. Reclaiming my time, Mr. Attorney. In reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time, Mr. Barr. Current substances. Attorney General, reclaiming my time. <laughs> there are rules by which we operate here. I would ask you to respect them. But There's the no 64 Act did not me. extend to... Reclaiming my time, sir. In both... Dash- Mr. Attorney General, I think reclaiming that's my what time. I was talking Reclaiming about. my time. I you think that's what... It's, uh, okay, uh, reclaiming my time. And again, I'm happy... Shame on you, Mr. Barr. Can I just say... Mr. Shame on you. Can I just my say... My time has expired. That's how it went for five solid hours. Interrupted, of course, only by Republican representatives, including the ranking member, Mr. Jordan, who did allow Mr. Barr, the attorney general, to speak. And every time he did, the Democrats were reminded, we have to stop that. He's very, very good. He's very, very smart. We can't allow him to continue to talk. Shut him down. If you ask him a question, do not let him answer it. Continue to shut him down. And so that's exactly what they did. You want to hear more? Isn't that correct? No, but, no what is correct is that well, er, 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 what is correct that on February 10th, Monday, no, no, I gave instructions no, as to what the... Reclaiming my time. Yeah, I'm answering your question. Well, you got to let him answer. Reclaiming my time. On February 10th. Oh, sir. On February I, 10th, reclaiming, I directed... Reclaiming my time, sir. Reclaiming my time. And I know you don't want to answer... You are wrong, Mr. That's, by the way, was Hank. Guam is going to tip over if we put too many troops on it. Johnson, one of, if not the, single dumbest human beings ever to hold elected office in the history of this great country. Not federal office. I said elected office. Seriously, one of the dumbest human beings in the history of elected office in this country. And he knew doggone well that he couldn't spar with Bill Barr, and so he had to shut him down. 
and not allow him to answer a single question. More. That was he's found the investigation had been initiated properly. He said he found reclaiming my time without political bias. He said he found evidence. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time without without any remedy. I'm reclaiming my time. When people resist law enforcement, they're not peaceful. Reclaiming my time. I'm surprised at your lack of respect. Gentleman does not have the time. I don't want the time. I just want I want the attorney general to be able to have enough time to respond to accusations and questions. Ask him and you guys not cut him off. Jim Jordan is the hero we need right now, quite frankly. And Jim Jordan, uh, Ohio's fourth congressional district representative, my district representative and the ranking member on the Judiciary Committee, uh, laid out the facts. Why were they going after Attorney General Barr so hard yesterday? Why have they tried to impeach him? Why are they trying to discredit him? Mr. Jordan, for his opening statement. Spying. That one word. That's why they're after you, Mr. Attorney General. Fifteen months ago, April 10th, 2019, in a Senate hearing, you said this sentence, quote, I think spying on a political campaign is a big deal. Spying on a political campaign is a big deal. It sure is. And since that day... Since that day, when you had the courage to state the truth, they attack you. They've been attacking you every since, every day, every week, for simply stating the truth that the Obama-Biden administration spied on the Trump campaign. One year ago, New York Times headline said this. One year ago, quote, FBI sent investigator posing as assistant to meet with Trump aide in 2016. The FBI sent a young lady who used the name Azra Turk to meet Papadopoulos in September of 2016. They sent someone pretending to be someone else to meet a person associated with the Trump campaign. You know what they call that? You know what they call that? Spying. One month later, October 2016, they used the dossier to spy on Carter Page. The salacious, unverified dossier, Jim Comey's words, not mine. They took it to the FISA court, didn't tell the courts that the Clintons paid for it, didn't tell the court that the guy who wrote the document, Christopher Steele, had already communicated to the Justice Department that he was, quote, desperate to stop Trump from getting elected. And guess what? There were 15 more lies that they told the court. 17 in total. They're outlined by the Inspector General, each and every one of them in his 400-page report. But guess what? Chairman Nadler refuses to allow Mr. Horowitz to come here and testify and answer our questions about the 17 lies the Obama-Biden administration told to the secret court. Jim Jordan is every bit the hero that we need right now. Somebody needed to tell the truth. Somebody who couldn't be cut off by the liberal demon rats on that panel. And Jim Jordan was that man. He knew Bill Barr would not be allowed to answer, so he took over for himself. Or for him, rather, for the Attorney General. Thank God we had that yesterday. I was excited to see Bill Barr dissect the weak and evil demon rats who had no intellectual capacity to spar with him. Sadly, the demon rats knew it, too. So they wouldn't allow the fight to take place. This was an ambush. This was a this was an ambush just as sure as anything you can imagine. I don't want to make it make a comparison to something else, but you understand. This was an assassination of a man's character and integrity because they knew they could not beat him intellectually. It's 9:21. The Bob France authority right back. It's the Bob France authority here. 
1420. The Answer. Nine twenty-five. Now we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, it was hard to listen to. I, I admit that. I acknowledge that. Um, there's just there's no getting around it. Uh, what they did yesterday to Attorney General Bill Barr was almost criminal. To be quite honest with you, it was a uh, it was a sandbagging. It was an ambush. You can pick your uh, pick your comparison there, but uh, that's what it was. They did not want to hear him. I do want you to hear more though from somebody who championed his cause. Uh, Jim Jordan w- w- did as good of a job as any defense attorney could, trying to give his uh, his uh, client a fair shake. Uh, it wasn't easy to do, but here's a little bit more. Problem again. The guy who was going to keep it all quiet, he's been fired. Now, how do they continue the cover-up? Real simple. I'm going to back that up a little bit here because I want you to hear that part from the beginning. Problem again. The guy who was going to keep it all like quiet, it. he's been fired. There you go. Now, how do they continue the cover-up? Real simple. Jim Comey leaks his memos with the express purpose of getting a special counsel appointed to investigate something they already know is not true. And that's exactly what happened. We get two years, 19 lawyers, 40 agents, 500 witnesses, 2,800 subpoenas, and a 30 million cost to the taxpayer, and they come back with nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so all they got left is to attack the Attorney General, who had the courage to state the truth right from the get-go, the first time he testifies after he's confirmed. You guys attack him every day, every week, and now you've filed articles of impeachment against him. It's ridiculous. He had the courage to do what no one else would do at the Justice Department, Sally Yates wouldn't call it spying. Jeff Sessions wouldn't do it. Rod Rosenstein wouldn't do it. Chris Wait, Ray sure as heck isn't going to do it. So, Mr. Tringer, I want to thank you for having the courage to call it what it was, spying. I want to thank you for having the courage to say we're going to get the politics out of the Department of Justice that was there in the previous administration. And maybe most importantly, and we're going to talk about this in our side when questioning, I want to thank you for defending law enforcement for pointing out what a crazy idea this defund the police I, uh, policy, whatever you want to call it, is, and standing up for the rule of law. And frankly, we have a video we want to show that gets right to this point. Can we play that video, please? And we'll Problem stop again. that there, of course, because uh, we can't show video on the radio. But uh, if you did see some of that online or if you watched it yesterday, this was a spectacular move by Congressman Jordan. Jerry Nadler, and I played this audio for you yesterday, told a YouTube reporter that the Portland Antifa violence was a myth. It didn't exist. It wasn't happening. He repeated that lie during his opening statement yesterday. Basically said that the Antifa uh, protests in Portland and in Seattle and around the country are peaceful. And it's Donald Trump and Bill Barr who put their little heads together and sent federal agents to those cities that have ramped up the violence. This was his allegation. So Congressman Jordan said, okay, here you go. He came armed with a video, a nearly six-minute video, of some of the extraordinary violence and attacks on law enforcement officers in Portland, in Seattle, in Chicago, in Oakland, and many other cities. Some of the horrific things that are being done to law enforcement officers that are excused and enabled by liberal mayors and, yes, liberal demon rat members of Congress like Nadler, and Jayapal, and uh, uh, Cohen, and the rest of them, 
all of these things that they these individuals uh, support or deny exist. He showed that video, and it was painful to watch. If you have not seen it yet, again, I encourage you to watch it, even though it's hard to watch, uh, people who are dedicating their lives to public service. And I'm going to say this as I wrap the segment and get ready for Jack Windsor to uh, talk COVID with us in the state of Ohio. I want you to assume, I want you to appreciate rather the irony of this, right? If the liberal demon rats claim that the protests that are going on in these big cities, these Democrat run cities, are, quote, mostly peaceful, there's only a few who are doing bad things. And this is what their argument is they're mostly peaceful. Nadler said that these are moms. And, and preachers and, and other innocent people out there uh, doing this protesting peacefully, the vast majority of them, right? So they want you to believe the majority of the protests are peaceful. And it's only a few who are doing bad things. And that means we should judge the protests as a whole as being good, right? Don't let the few violent people in the protests color the entire uh, band of protesters as being violent. Ponder that as you ponder this. The police forces of the United States of America are overwhelmingly 99% good and decent and law-abiding and law-enforcing. But they want one incident or two or three, I mean, point zero 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 six percent of the police officers who do something wrong like the one in Minneapolis, to paint the entirety of policing as brutal and as racist. So when one cop does something wrong, all of policing is bad. But when multiple protesters attack and set fires and assault and beat people, and and a whole bunch of other protesters are peaceful, we have to judge the entire thing as peaceful. The hypocrisy here is so deep, you could dive in it. And we'll be back after the news. Nine thirty six now, we continue on AM fourteen twenty the answer. Turn away from the circus sideshow that the uh, Judiciary Committee hearing was yesterday and turn our attention to the circus sideshow that is the daily Mike DeWine press briefing. Uh, COVID-19 is still front and center, and Mike DeWine's messaging is so unbelievably bipolar, it's hard to put into words. And yet, I'm going to ask somebody to put it into words. Jack Windsor does that as well as anybody. Jack Windsor is an intrepid reporter, an investigative reporter, working uh, for WDMF in uh, Mansfield, and he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Jack, good morning. How are you, sir? Bob France, I'm super fantastic. It's great to be with you. Uh, I think it's it's WMFD, isn't it? Didn't I mess up the calls? WMFD is correct. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> I just said WMFD. I, I, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't live in Mansfield, so I got to look that up each time. Jack, uh, wow, uh, so much ground to cover here. I'm not sure exactly where to start, but I'm going to start with social media 
because this is unbelievable to me. You have an enormous following because you're doing work that no other reporters in Ohio are doing, at least not to the consistent level that you are. And as a result of that following, somebody created the Jack Windsor Fan Club page. And the Jack Windsor Fan Club page had an extraordinary number of followers. You would put your videos up there from your nightly analysis of what's going on with your guests. You would put your your uh, uh, articles up there that you would write for the uh, website for WMFD. Uh, and so many other things. You would put graphs with explanations, you know, and charts from the Ohio uh, website, the Ohio Department of Health website on COVID-19. And fans loved it. You'd get thousands of retweets, or excuse me, of shares uh, and uh, and comments. So extraordinarily popular. And then suddenly, out of the blue, Mark Zuckerberg and the Facebook Nazis removed the Jack Windsor fan club page. Now, Jack, I know it wasn't yours. You didn't start your own fan club, and I know you weren't uh, running it. But you followed it, and you contributed things to it because this was extraordinarily popular, and the people demanded to see it. Do you have any idea why the Facebook Nazis removed your fan club page? Uh, as of 11 o'clock last night, I was talking with the administrator of, of the group, and Facebook had not provided any indication at all uh, why it had been ripped down. Uh, fortunately, as you mentioned, there were, there were about 77 or 7,800 people there. Uh, there is an investigative um, journalist page that has about 12,000 now. And then my personal page has, uh, it, you know, the 5,000. So we still have audience, but uh, that was a really, really nice. Uh, my understanding is that, the, you know, the fan club, club page had lots of different folks, people uh, from different political persuasions were there, you know, kind of duking it out uh, respectfully uh, was always my encouragement. Um, so it was really disappointing that it was taken down, uh, I mean, for so many reasons. And we've talked about this, Bob, this is cancel culture 101. Um, they want science that, you know, uh, feeds their fear and their political agenda. And, uh, they, they want everyone to be open-minded as long as it includes exclusively their agenda. So, yeah, and that um, is exactly it. That, in other words, they don't want science. Because science is, by its very definition, challenged. Science is something that is very, very rarely settled. Science is something that is always under scrutiny. One scientific principle, one scientific finding can be challenged by another scientific finding that, that yields a different result. Science is almost always, almost always all under investigation. And they don't want science that challenges their narrative. That's why they took your page down, and we'll pivot to this, Jack, uh, and, and talk about the doctors. They, they called themselves the frontline doctors, and they had a white coat uh, press conference in front of the Supreme Court of the United States uh, on, uh, on, what was it? It was Sunday, right? No, Monday, uh, I think it was. And they were preaching. And one particular doctor, Dr. Um, uh, Emmanuel, uh, was, was one of the most viral uh, participants in this. And she was talking about the benefits of hydroxychloroquine combined with Zith- uh, Zithromax and, uh, and zinc. And she said she, as a frontline doctor, not a researcher, not a speculator, not somebody uh, working on policy, but an actual frontline doctor who treats patients, said that she has treated 350 patients with uh, hydro- that, that combination, including hydroxychloroquine. And she has not had one person die, despite all of these claims that if you use that, it's going to kill people. Uh, now, whether she's right or wrong, and whether or not she's exaggerated her totals, and whether or not her science is accurate or not, nobody knows. But 
Facebook doesn't want anybody to look at it and discover for themselves. They literally scrubbed that video of her and about another dozen doctors behind her and their statements about the reality of the threat of COVID from people who see patients on a daily basis, who treat COVID patients, rather than doctors in, in, uh, uh, in, uh, um, uh, conference rooms where they just decide on what they think is going on so jack they don't want to see your page they don't want to see these other doctors because there is an agenda and i just cannot believe that our policymakers, our executives are allowing this to happen go ahead yeah well it's maddening right first of all um dr burks dr fauci amy acton these are folks who are setting the pace and the tone for our policy decisions you have an ivory tower decision-making process. I'm going to call it what it is. Now, on Monday, you have doctors that come forward and say, look, this is real. Here's, here's what we've done. Here's the efficacy. And it totally gets scrubbed. The other thing that happens is, you know, the person that was most vocal, uh, she gets guilted and shamed because of you know, her religious affiliation, other things that she may believe. And then, of course, they ignore uh, the other doctors who were saying essentially the same things. Um, but you right. know, here's the deal. Uh, if, if you don't like the way that that was done, I would encourage people to go over to the Newsweek um, opinion editorial written by Harvey Risch, who is a professor of epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health. He came out on July 23rd, and uh, I don't want to you know, oversummarize the article, but essentially said, look, this stuff works, and the only reason it's not working is that it has been wielded as a political weapon. And, and shame on us. And, and I mean all of us, if that's where we're at, if we're looking at this uh, decision about whether we should use this medication because Trump said something or because this person said something, we have absolutely gone against what everybody claims we should be doing, which is following the science. Ohio bought millions of these tablets at the beginning of, of the uh, outbreak here in Ohio. One of the questions I want to ask the governor is, where did they go? Did we sell them? Did we get rid of them? I, I suspect we're going to hear a lot more about this because my understanding is the governor talked with the vice president yesterday, and I've heard rumblings that the vice president was going to talk with governors about hydroxychloroquine and how we need to get this into our treatment protocol uh, on the state level. Yeah, as it absolutely should be. And just to follow up on what you said, the article was written, the one by, for Newsweek, by the way. Newsweek ran this. Uh, Dr. Harvey Reich from uh, from Yale, uh, professor of epidemiology, wrote this on the 23rd. So in other words, before the White Coat Convention there in front of the Supreme Court, uh, in which they have tried to discredit. And they did, by the way. Did you notice that, Jack? When somebody is making points they don't want made, they sent a reporter to do a hit piece. They did it yep. to you? with the New York Times, and they did it to Dr. Emanuel with the Daily Beast, who decided that her, you know, uh, um, uh, medical degree, which came from a school in Africa, and her religious beliefs, which are also largely cultural and African, uh, that those had to be mocked and destroyed, and then distro- uh, th- uh, thereby destroying her credibility as a physician and frontline COVID treater. They, they made, made no mention whatsoever of the dozen doctors behind her who also took to the microphone to say essentially the same thing. And as you point out, I wonder if they're going to do a hit piece on Dr. Harvey Reich. 
Dr. Harvey Reich from Yale that you just quoted, and I posted this yesterday as well, headline, the key to defeating COVID-19 already exists. We need to start using it. It's a strong, full-throated support of hydroxychloroquine, Zithromax, okay. and uh, and zinc. So I wonder if there's a hit piece coming on him next, because anybody that disputes their narrative, which is to keep people terrified and locked in their homes and, and wearing those masks of shame, uh, you know, that, that, that seems to be, those people seem to be, you know, uh, marked for termination, if you will, at least their reputations. Yeah, it, it seems to be the case. I mean, it's happened to me. It's happened to the doctor you just mentioned. Uh, on a local level, it's happened to a couple of folks here uh, in the Delaware County area who spoke up and stood out and said, no, we don't really uh, want a mask mandate, and here's why. Uh, and, and, I mean, it's it's pretty scary stuff. Uh, people have received hate letters. Um, one person received just something that was completely inappropriate uh, regarding something that had happened 20 years in the past. So, yeah, well, it's, that's what cancel culture does. Cancel culture yeah. takes people who are in the present, who are who are espousing unpop espousing unpopular views, and and they can't dispute the views, they can't challenge the views, so they try to destroy the credibility of the individual. And they look ten, twenty years back into Twitter feeds or or you know anything else that might discredit them personally to take away their professional opinions. And that's what's so reprehensible. Jack, I want to apologize for the interruption, but I do want to get to some of your work, and I want to talk a little bit about. Um, yesterday, uh, the full story. You wrote a great piece behind the Ohio Public Health Advisory System, uh, yeah. what it is and what it what 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 they port, port, uh, portray it as. Can you tell us yeah. about that? Yes. So, what I'd like to do. This is actually one piece. Uh, there will be six others, and the okay. Public Health Advisory System lists seven indicators that each county is graded on, and of course. Uh, you can trigger those indicators, and that's what would put a county in orange or red uh, or purple. Now, keep in mind that schools are looking at this advisory system, and they're building their plans off of this. So we're going to be looking at these indicators um, because they're super important. And the, the thing that I want to state very clearly, um, this is a warning system, as the governor claims, um, and it's so sensitive that it can be triggered at the highest level in the complete absence of active symptomatic COVID-19 infection. So the one that I'll cover with you today, and if I get long here, let me know if we can go to a break, but I want to talk about this uh, new cases per capita indicator. And this indicator is something that can be flagged if there are greater than 50 cases per 100,000 residents over the last two weeks. Now, this indicator has several significant issues. First, there's no clarity on which kind of tests are being used to document, quote, a case and what their rates of false positivity are. It has also been reported that antibody testing, which can test for a previous infection, counts as a case. So having IgG antibodies in your bloodstream indicates that you have had the disease and have successfully mounted a defense against it. You're not sick, you're not infectious, but it's counted as a case. Consider also there is a diasornin molecular test. Uh, The FDA uh, received approval or that test received approval from the FDA under the emergency use, use authorization, um, and the test has not been validated for use in asymptomatic patients. So think about that. And the FDA urges that result should be viewed with caution. So this indicator, it fails to account for the severity of infection. If, for example, we talked that to flip the trigger, you, you only need 50 positive tests out of 100,000 residents. All 50 of those positive cases 
can be in completely asymptomatic individuals. And we know from numerous contact tracing studies in other countries that people who are asymptomatic rarely transmit SARS-CoV-2, particularly in, in casual contact situations. Uh, so these cases should not be counted at all in our health advisory system. Uh, if this is to be a metric, there needs to be far more clarity about the tests themselves and which cases are included. That is, um, that's extraordinary. Uh, they have a test that the FDA has said has not been proven to be, uh, reliable, and yet they're using it, and they are, uh, and they are counting, like you said, uh, people with antibodies as actual being, uh, being actual cases, and then reporting, uh, them as, as cases. And, and this part is important too, Jack, reporting them whenever they feel like it. This is another thing that you pointed out yesterday in some of your uh, some of your posts. Um, you know, for example, and 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 you can give me the specifics on it. I'm going by memory from what I saw yesterday. You know, reporting 38 new deaths in the last yeah. 24 hours, but yet when you look at the actual charts on the websites, so you're not making up your own charts. I want people to know that. You look at them, you find, wait a minute, there was one death today and four yesterday. That's only five in the last 38 or 24 hours, rather. Where did they come up right. with 38? And the answer is? The, the right. answer is they use reported. Uh, and the governor will say, we have uh, reported 38 deaths in the last 24 hours. Now, what they are doing is they are looking back over uh, information that can go as far back now, we know, as November of 2019. So if somebody died in November or December and it has been declared that that was a COVID death, that information gets pulled forward and, and, and reported today. Now, I'm not going to argue if that was truly a COVID death, then count it. But if you're going to talk about the present, you know, when you're going to make policy, you're not going to look in the rearview mirror. You're going to look out the, the front windshield. And so they're pulling this information forward, and I think what really perturbs me is that they're, they're wordsmithing. They're saying reported in the last 24 hours. Okay, that's great, but how many people died today? Okay, there was one, and then there were four yesterday. That paints an entirely different picture. Words matter, and context matters. And I said this yesterday. Some people scoff at that and say, well, you know, well, okay, if it didn't matter, why is the governor spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on these commercials encouraging people to mask up, encouraging them to social distance? Because words and marketing and advertising work. So we really need to be careful about saying 38 reported deaths today. When people are making policies and decisions based off your words and based off your reporting, you're doing a huge disservice to, uh, to the citizens of the state when you fail to really tell them what's going on in the present. I want to ask you uh, real quickly about uh, Mike DeWine's orders uh, from this point forward, particularly as it pertains to daycare. I need a quick time out here. Hang with me, Jack, yes. all right? Jack Windsor will be with me for a few more minutes before the top of the hour on AM 1420, The Answer. Let me uh, continue and finish up here with Jack Windsor for this hour. Um, Jack, I, I said at the beginning that uh, the governor seems bipolar in the weird orders that he is um, that he is giving, and, uh, and and my evidence of that is he is now essentially saying that all daycare facilities, as of I think it's going to be August ninth, can reopen to full capacity. 
which would indicate, hey, things are getting better, we're loosening up. But at the same time, uh, he says that high school sports, there will be no scrimmages allowed in August. Uh, in, in, all, all scrimmages have been canceled for the month of August, which would indicate things are still really bad. He doesn't want school versus school contact. But yet, he said that on August 1st, uh, practices for the fall season can begin on schedule. Uh, I, I'm having a hard time figuring out, are we getting better? Are we getting worse? Are we moving closer to a shutdown? Or are we moving closer to mm-hmm. re- removing the mask mandate? I have no idea what he's trying to do. Go ahead. I was confused yesterday, too, uh, when he made that announcement. One of the things he said in addition to that was that over the course of this epidemic, they have traced somewhere along the, the lines of 400 cases involving uh, these child care centers. There are about 1,100 of them. He said they, they believe one quarter of those were, you know, spreading in those facilities. So 100 cases over the past you know, X number of months, which is really interesting because when you think about child care centers, you know, they're wiping noses and butts, right, or posteriors, excuse me. So that's a little more interactive than what it would be in school. So it begs the question for me, and I think you just hit it too, why not allow kids to go to school five days a week? Why not allow scrimmages and practices? It would only make sense. Uh, particularly when we know that the CDC said kids are not carriers. They're not carrying it forward. Schools in Europe had gone back a, a long time ago, and there hadn't been any outbreaks. Uh, so why not allow this to happen? But, you know, I dug a little deeper, and I think where this comes from is uh, perhaps uh, the Finney Law Firm and Maurice Thompson of the 1851 Center. Uh, they were challenging the daycare limitations as both unconstitutional and entirely unworkable, uh, saying that it was going to bankrupt an entire industry and deprive working parents of a child care solution. And interestingly enough, that, that case, I believe, was settled yesterday. So I believe this announcement has more to do with the governor saying, I don't want uh, a, a legal precedent uh, against what I'm trying to do to stand up. So I'm going to go ahead and um, make it so that this uh, this lawsuit is no longer applicable. So we're going to go ahead and allow child care providers to return to their normal statutory ratios and class sizes effective August 9th. And so apparently they're not concerned with child care providers getting sick because this is the argument that the left, particularly the liberal uh, National Educators Association, the teachers unions, are arguing, saying we don't want our teachers, we don't want our members getting sick from students. So if the governor agrees that children should be allowed to be in the presence of daycare workers, why should children not be allowed to be in the presence of their teachers? Well, and then he's going to have an uphill battle. Look, it, this isn't about doing what's right. It's about continuing on with the the agenda. Uh, and that, that, to me, seems to be what it's all about. But he's going to have a hard time. I mean, there's supposed to be equal justice under the law, right? And things cannot be arbitrary, which, by the way, I want to sneak this in. There was a decision yesterday in Franklin County, um, and the judge there, Judge Mark Serrett, issued, uh, issued a temporary restraining order blocking the newly enacted 10 p.m. curfew for bars and restaurants. And one of the things that he talked about was uh, that this seems to be arbitrary for bars and restaurants to be targeted and not other venues in the city. So there's your argument for schools. How are you going to go ahead and allow child care centers open and then tell schools that they can't right. be open? It's arbitrary. 
hundred percent right. Uh, and not only should he tell them they can't be, or the, should he not tell them they can't be open? In my estimation, he ought to issue an edict and saying all schools must be open per state law. Uh, public schools should be in business of educating children in person. There is no data whatsoever that would justify uh, online learning or distance learning or virtual learning or any of the other things that they're calling these things right now, other than, again, fear being stoked by liberal organizations, including and especially the OEA, that's the Ohio Educators Association, and the NEA, which continue to try to foster this fear. Uh, and that's just uh, that's just the way that it is. Jack Windsor, you're doing amazing work. Uh, even though fewer people can see it now because they took down your fan club page, they can go to your if they are one of the 5,000 friends, again, Facebook's max limit is 5,000 friends. They can read your work on your page. And then what's the other one that you have started, Jack? Uh, Jack Windsor, investigative journalist. Uh, there's a, a, a page there as well. And even on my personal page, Jack the, Windsor, the Jack Windsor page, uh, they can follow. Even though I can't accept more friends, they can follow and see the content. Perfect. So so just look for Jack Windsor if you are a Facebook user and you want to be educated on the reality of what the numbers say uh, in the state of Ohio as opposed to the fiction read to us every day by reported numbers from uh, Governor Mike DeWine. If you want the facts, go to Jack Windsor on Facebook. Uh, follow the Jack Windsor investigative reporter or journalist page as well. And, of course, keep listening because we'll keep talking to Jack as long as he's willing to talk to us. Jack, thank you so much. Bob, thank you. God bless you. You too, sir. Jack Windsor uh, with some more information that you needed to have. Coming up on the other side of the news, Bob Dyer, Akron Beacon Journal reporter extraordinaire, revisits an old topic that has suddenly become important again. And uh, you're going to want to hear this one, trust me, as hour number two begins on AM 1420, The Answer.